0: Welcome to the Business Extra podcast. I'm Mustafa al-Rawi, the Nationals Assistant Editor-in-Chief. We're here in Abu Dhabi. Uh, With me is my co-host and the Nationals Future Editor, Kelsey Warner. Hi, Kelsey. Hey, Mustafa. So this week, we're going to discuss the economic outlook for the Middle East. The IMF has put out its most latest forecast for this year. Looks a little bit back at what happened last year, which wasn't too bad, actually, for most of the economies. But the main takeaways from what the IMF is saying... Uh, that it's going to be a uncertain year, not just from the Ukraine conflict for other reasons, but also the outlook is quite divergent depending on which economy you're talking about.
1: Sure, and so International Monetary Fund, we're taking a big step back today, and I believe it's an opportune moment to sort of set the table for the year ahead and look ahead. And you had a fairly big interview with the IMF yesterday to discuss outlook and kind of eager to hear your thoughts. We'll have a bit of an interview within, in, within an interview here on this episode, because from a journalist perspective, I'm curious to hear what you heard from the IMF and what the top stories will be coming out of their outlook.
0: I spoke to Jihad Azur, the director of the Middle East and Central Asia Department at the IMF, ahead of the release of the report. We'll listen to that in a moment. Uh, but now, please do hit that subscribe button. If you're on YouTube, hit that bell. Let's go to that interview now with the IMF's Jihad Azor. Uh, Jihad, welcome back to the Business Extra. It's good to be talking to you again. Um, this week, the IMF has put out its Middle East and Central Asia Regional Economic Outlook Report. It's a critical time uh, to get this perspective uh, from the fund. Um, perhaps you can run us through some of the, the key messaging uh, that is coming out uh, from your analysis at the moment for the economies in this region.
2: Hello, and thank you for having me again. Uh, of course, uh, the region that was going through a promising recovery, both in Caucasus, Central Asia, and the Middle East, has been faced since the war in Ukraine with a severe uh, amount of shocks. Uh, directly and indirectly, both regions were hit by the increase in food and commodity prices, by the, also the fluctuation in capital flows and the impact on uh, interest rates as well as also by the hikes in inflations. Of course, this crisis uh, will affect um, the prospect for this year, but uh, we are going to expect a divergent uh, outlook where oil exporting countries will enjoy the high level of uh, oil prices and the high demand for oil. And on the other hand, oil importing countries, here the situation is different for low income countries they will face uh, the impact of increased in food and commodity prices. And the risk for them is to go f- through food security problems. For the middle income countries, uh, the emerging economies, uh, uh, they will face the impact of increasing prices of commodities and food. Uh, the increase also in interest rates and spreads and the uncertainty that the global economy uh, will cast on them. Um, Caucasus and Central Asia are in the eye of the storm because of their proximity with Russia. They have strong ties, trade and financial um, transactions, but also remittances are important for their economies. Going forward it's very important for those countries to calibrate their policies in order to reduce the impact of inflation on their economies, address the pressures uh, while protecting the most vulnerable but also uh, calibrate uh, and coordinate their policies in order to navigate the exit from the two back-to-back shocks: COVID-19 and the war in Europe, uh, the war. In Ukraine
0: crisis. Yeah you me- you mentioned these back-to-back shocks jihad and and really 2021 for the region at least was you know not a bad year we saw a rebound from the pandemic. And then at the start of 2022 what we've seen is you know immense uncertainty created by the, by the conflict um and also you you rightly pointed out a divergence within the region depending on whether the economies are oil uh, importers or oil exporters. Um, but inflation seems to be affecting everyone. But I mean I mean is the most uncertainty around the duration of the conflict, if the conflict were to, to end uh, soon uh, or, or persist for the rest of the year, would, would that be the biggest factor that we need to keep an eye on? Well,
2: there are several issues that we need to keep an eye on. First of all, um, the high level of inflation that has been exacerbated recently by the increase of price in uh, food and commodities. This is an important issue, especially that has a big social impact. Headline inflation drove prices up in 2021 and also in 2022. The second issue that um, we need to look at is the second-round impact of this uh, war and the crisis. Some of those countries have uh, very strong economic ties with Europe, for example, North African countries. The slowdown that we see is that we see in China could also have an impact on the outlook of the economies of the region. Three, uncertainty brings volatility. The volatility in oil price, but also the volatility that we see in the mood of investors. We saw in the beginning of the year, some outflows from important emerging markets in the region, like for example, in Egypt. And those are issues that we need to watch. Last but not the least, uh, unemployment went up and also um, the vulnerable groups uh, face the a huge impact of the COVID crisis and the current one. And therefore there is a risk of social unrest that calls for adapting or changing or improving the way fiscal policies are conducted, both on the expenditure side to focus more on social protection and also on the revenue side to increase equity and also to have the capacity to get additional resources to redistribute better uh, government resources.
0: So we can talk a little bit about the divergence of economies um, in the region. And and for example, when it comes to uh, the Gulf, um, of course, the UAE, where we're, we're which I'm speaking from today, um, is one of the biggest um, oil exporters um, in the region, and they have a very different outlook compared to and this is the gulf countries I mean compared to other economies in the region and in fact it seems that your your growth rates have been revised upwards for this region so that can i guess the question is can the gulf be insulated from the wider region's uncertainties and problems and and have a better 2022 than perhaps we expected at the end of last year given that oil prices are high
2: well i think it's maybe important to understand how the recovery took shape Last year, um, the policies that were introduced in terms of vaccination, in terms of adjusting the ecosystem for the economy to um, work, uh, and the various measures to support livelihood and also lives uh, paid off. Uh, And we saw economy recovering starting 2021, accelerating in the second half of the year that led to upgrading the outlook for most of the countries in GCC. 2022 also, thanks to, uh, for example, in UAE, to Expo, as well as also to improvements in certain uh, um, legal frameworks like the labor law, like the various measures that attracted um, uh, investors and labor, we see the economy uh, accelerating the recovery on the non-oil sector. Of course, the increase in oil prices and the production increase has amplified the recovery that we saw last year. I think what is important going forward is to understand that this windfall is a very precious one that need to be well invested. Uh, In the next three to four years, we expect that uh, additional reserves will increase by more than $1 trillion. Those reserves need to be used to accelerate the diversification of the economy Reduce dependent on oil, become less procyclical, allow the private sector to lead growth. Those are the priorities for UAE as well as also for other countries in the GCC.
0: So it's an opportunity, really, to use this. Windfall, as you put it, to, to do the right things, to put the right policies in place um, for the, for the Gulf to kind of not just say this is the end result, this is what we wanted, but rather to use this moment uh, to set themselves up for the for the medium and long term, um, which which makes a lot of sense. I mean, if I can come back to Jihad, if you don't mind, to the to the issue of, of food prices, um, you know, inflation. There's there's a there's a mention in in your report about the need for international cooperation to prevent a food crisis? Does the IMF have have more um, sort of color on what, what international cooperation would look like? Is it regional? Is it global? Um, what's the vision here?
2: It should be at both levels, global in order to secure that supply is not constrained and allow those who are food dependent countries to remain uh, able to have access to these basic commodities. Uh, cooperation is also very useful to reduce Uh, uh, the impact of uncertainty on prices of those basic commodities. On the other hand, low-income countries in the region and elsewhere may face uh, a bigger problem because the reserves of those commodities is very limited in time and in quantity, but also the impact of the increase in prices will create a huge impact on their uh, social uh, stability, especially that uh, most of their population depend in their consumption on those products. Therefore, it's very important to maintain global cooperation and the role of institutions is important. It's very important to provide also support to countries who need it. And also it's very important in each country to use this moment to improve social protection mechanisms, make them more targeted, allow the low-income groups to have at least a floor of social protection, and... Last but not the least is to fight inflation because inflation is a tax that affects more the poor than uh, the high-income people.
0: So, J- Jihad, the very interesting points you raised there, and, and it kind of leads me to to maybe go around the houses, if you like, of the specific economies um, in the region. And if I if I start with Iraq, for example, because that's a very interesting scenario, where Iraq, as a as a big oil producer, um, is is going to see benefits from uh, you know the windfall, as we say, for for higher oil prices. It's going to have a much bigger surplus, for example. However, the government has been cutting back on uh, the salaries of pensioners and civil servants, Um, it's talking about a cash crunch. But also on the other hand, there's discussion uh, in Iraq about certain reforms, fiscal reforms and what's required. I mean, how can Iraq, I guess, you know, as 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 the report puts it, you know, walk the fine line on policies to in the short term improve uh, the quality of life for its people, but you know, in the medium to long term, get the structure right so that they can take advantage of this of this particularly lucky period.
2: You're raising a very important point, and let me here start by saying two things. One has to be very careful about the risk of volatility in oil prices. If you remember, in the last two years, we saw oil prices below $20 the barrel and above $117 the barrel. Uh, This is a sobering uh, uh, information that requires from all countries to be vigilant in the way they manage the windfall from increasing oil prices and avoid pro Second, it's important to differentiate between oil-exporting countries who have buffers and who have reserves and those who have less. Iraq is among the countries who have less buffers and reserves. And we saw it during COVID how this played negatively uh, in, in Iraq. On the other hand, it's very important to improve the social infrastructure in Iraq by having a better targeting of the social protection mechanisms, by reforming the state to provide better quality of services, including the social services that COVID uh, put under strain and under pressure. Therefore, in a country like Iraq, you need to maintain the two tracks. One is to use wisely the resources that came with the increase in oil prices, but also to do the structural reforms and put economic management in the medium term framework. Otherwise, the volatility in oil price will affect the stability of uh, the economy uh, going forward. Therefore, there is no moment to lose. And it's important to use this windfall to accelerate and to foster uh, an economic transformation that Iraq needs.
0: So if I, if I pick up also on Egypt, a country you've mentioned um, uh, today, th- it seems as if already Egypt's moving forward on a lot of changes that are required. They're particularly sensitive, of course, to on the food security front with wheat supplies from Ukraine and Russia, but also for their population in terms of food prices. Uh, it's, so in terms of where Egypt are, does it seem as if there's momentum there? Uh, also in discussions with the IMF as well um, about, um, again, th- using this moment to make the right policy moves going forward?
2: One here should recognize that Egypt was affected uh, directly by the war in Ukraine. Uh, trade relations, tourism, uh, uh, inflows from Russia and Ukraine are important for the Egyptian economy. That uh, was still uh, dealing with the uh, uh, scarring and the aftermath of the COVID crisis. Uh, the government has made certain Uh, economic measures. In the beginning, they used some of their reserves to defend uh, capital flows, but they uh, gradually moved into allowing exchange rate to become more flexible and adjusted interest rate in order to address inflation. Inflation has reached a level that went beyond the corridor uh, of 7 plus 2%, and therefore it's important to keep inflation under control. It's also important to um, uh, address uh, the issue of uh, uh, capital flow management by maintaining the flexibility in in the exchange rate and on the fiscal side, to regain uh, the path to a positive uh, primary surplus, primary balance in the budget that Egypt has prior to the COVID crisis. Um, And for that, Certain number of reforms are still needed in terms of structural reforms that will allow the Egyptian economy to keep growing at an acceptable and good pace, as we saw in the past, and to create the needed jobs for the young uh, Egyptian population. The role of the private sector is going to be critical going forward in creating jobs and expanding the size of the Egyptian economy.
0: So if I move to Lebanon, and a country that obviously had a lot of Difficulties even before uh, you know this year and the conflict in Ukraine, and even before the pandemic, as well. um, Lebanon's made some progress in terms of of talks with the IMF um, for for money to help it correct itself, but it seems to be perhaps the the level of support short of what the government needed. But is this enough? Again, I talk about momentum. I talk about seizing this moment. Is there enough? Do you think, um, given the outlook? For Lebanon, given the challenges we've discussed today, is that enough to get Lebanon back on, on the right path, at least the beginning of it?
2: Well, as you know, um, the fund and Lebanon reached staff level agreement uh, uh, to help uh, Lebanon deal with one of the most uh, challenging crises for Lebanon and in the region. Last year, the fund provided almost $1 billion uh, of SDR's special drawing rights. Uh, To Lebanon, and uh, and this has helped the central bank beef up its reserves. Uh, The staff level agreement uh, is based on the key pillars that Lebanon needs to recover from the crisis, address one of the most challenging financial crises of the history uh, in the history of Lebanon uh, that has led to the default in 2020, but also. Uh, deal with the uh, social consequences of the extreme high inflation that Lebanon uh, is going through. In addition to that, it's important to reform the public sector, increase the level of transparency and fight corruption to allow the provision of good quality of public services and reduce their deficit. Last but not the least is to widen the social protection framework. Those are the pillars that the reform program Uh, of the Lebanese government uh, is based on, and this is where the fund is trying to help. Lebanon needs to have a consistency in the reform agenda, and we hope that this program with the fund would help in that, but also Lebanon needs international assistance. And also we we hope that the program with the fund will help coalize both regional and international support to help Lebanon recover uh, from this uh, extremely severe crisis,
0: and uh, obviously a long way to go there uh, with Lebanon. A lot of work needs to be done. Um, if I if we if I ask you about Tunisia, where the situation is fragile in terms of of efforts for the economy to to recover, uh, both in terms of tourism and 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 from the pandemic, um, you know where do, where in the outlook does does Tunisia fall? Well,
2: Tunisia. Um, faced um, back-to-back two important shocks. COVID-19 crisis had a big uh, impact on both uh, economic activity and especially also on some of the um, weak links uh, with the large informal sector and high level of unemployment at the youth level. And then came the war in Ukraine that is having an impact uh, with increasing prices, but also indirect impact because of the strong trade relationship between uh, Tunisia and Europe. Uh, The government of Tunisia has uh, put in place a comprehensive reform program that is being currently discussed with the various stakeholders in Tunisia in order to create support around those important pillars of reforms. What are those? One is to stabilize the economy by addressing the impact of inflation and especially by... Uh, reducing the impact of increasing prices on on the low income uh, 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 parts of the population, reform public sector to make it more agile and supportive to a strong recovery and reduce the size and the weight of the uh, public sector on on the shoulder of the economy, but also is to reform state-owned enterprises to make them more productive, uh, job creating and attracting fDIs the fund is in in constant discussion with the authorities and emission visited Tunisia recently and we had very good discussions during the spring meetings that we will continue in the weeks to come uh, with both the central bank as well as also with the government so
0: jihad if I can finish perhaps with a, a- I guess a bigger, a bigger question here. I mean, we've, we've talked about, you know, the uncertainty, the divergence uh, in economies. We've talked about the different challenges, but also the opportunities, of course. I mean, th- th- this is a chance um, with with international support for many economies to, to get on the right path um, for the future. Um, but essentially, I have to feel, I have to ask you, these, these multiple crises on top of crises that the region has gone through, are we really building resilience here? Is this something that's going to set us up for the future, or are we just being held back by situations beyond our control um, year after year? I, I mean, are you are you an optimist, Jihad, still at this point?
2: Well, of course, crises erode resilience and have an impact on uh, on the weak links in in economies, and some of the countries were already prior to the COVID shock. Uh, facing certain number of challenges, but also crises are opportunities. And we saw during COVID, many countries in the region uh, stepped up and uh, were able to address the impact of the shock on lives. Uh, They were able to accelerate vaccination and through some of the policy measures that they were introduced in addition to saving lives, they were able to recover fast as we saw last year. And uh, uh, many of them were planning for uh, a strong recovery and transformative recovery in the future. Of course, there are more challenges today. But those challenges also uh, will call for additional reforms. What type of reforms are needed today? One is to transform the social protection system, to be more targeted, to allow those who are in need to receive the support of the state and reduce the leakages that could happen when you have untargeted type of support, like when you support energy or gasoline. Also to move into opening up through reforming SOEs, for example, economies for additional investment. Uh, Benefit from the change in the supply chains uh, and uh, what several countries in the world are doing today to diversify their sources uh, uh, of supply to allow the regions, uh, the countries in the region to be more attractive. Uh, Last but not the least, there are transformative reforms that are needed. Energy transformation, uh, uh, investing in climate issues, investing in technology, reducing the level of informality. That was one of the main weaknesses during COVID crisis, all Those are steps in the right direction. The priorities should be very clear. Reduce the level of unemployment, especially at the youth, and allow the state to provide protection to those who need it. Those are two important priorities. This requires good coordination of public policies. WISE policies requires also to strengthen the quality of public services, especially education and health, and increase the level of trust in the p- private sector. Who is able in the region
0: to lead the growth? Jihad Azor, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So that was Jihad Azor from the IMF uh, talking about the outlook this year for the Middle East and North Africa economies.
1: So you walked out of that interview yesterday and uh, in your mind, Speaking as a journalist, what were the headlines kind of swirling in your mind? What was some of the top line elements that you heard from that interview?
0: So first of all, Gulf economies, the, the, the major oil exporters, you know, plus Iraq are going to have much higher revenue this year than they did last year because oil prices have been up largely because of the Ukraine conflict. So that's on one side, that's, that's relatively positive. But Jihad Azur talked about this being, you know, a precious windfall, a unique moment. This is the time to really accelerate economic diversification strategies, get your uh, social policies right, do what needs to be done while you have this money, the idea being it might not come again.
1: And so interestingly, okay, this is a chance to be reinvesting back into economies, future proofing. When we think about inflation, food insecurity that comes with this rising inflation that we talked about, I think a couple months ago now about commodities in Egypt, for example. Okay. Taking a step back, reinvesting. What are the reinvestment priorities? What should they be? Is it in food security? Is it in localizing manufacturing? What are some of the lessons we've learned coming out of the pandemic, facing uncertainty? What what happens next? What are the investment opportunities?
0: So, so policymakers, and this is, doesn't just apply to the sort of Gulf uh, energy exporters, but all economies have got to prioritize, according to what Jihad is always saying, on employment, especially you know youth unemployment. Policies that go towards Tackling that behemoth that's been sort of a big thing for for the region for some time, um, secondly, uh, the private sector has to be you know accelerated and even more enabled because that's what's really going to drive you know future growth and and resilience as well. so those two things are really important also in terms of any social safety nets have to be targeted, so the kind of these kind of blanket subsidies for energy or, or other commodities have to go and really any support from the government has to be focused on the most vulnerable people.
1: I want to dig in a bit more to divergence uncertainty. Can you talk a bit about the dynamics at play that are causing divergence?
0: So you you have the the countries that have to import their energy. And obviously with oil and gas prices rising, and in some cases there being supply crunches, that's adding to inflationary worries and concerns. Inflation in Middle East North Africa ran 14.8% last year, according to the IMF. And this year, it's it's potentially going to be a problem as well. So tackling inflation, how you tackle it, how you bring it down, the knock-on effect on food prices, that's all creating a lot of uncertainty. Unemployment's been rising as well, partly because of COVID because of other systemic issues as well, that's more uncertainty. But really, the big question right now is how long will the Ukraine conflict last? And how long that lasts um, will will have an impact again on the outlook, because that's causing potentially a problem for food supply, and is obviously stressing out supply chains, and is again, adding to uh, inflationary pressures.
1: Speaking about more on divergence, inflation popped up right at the top, and it's been a Top headline coming out of the U.S. and in parts of this region, but why has the GCC been relatively insulated from these inflationary pressures? What's going on there?
0: I think the the, the, the important thing here is that with any kind of economic rebound or economic growth, you're going to get inflation. So you know, we had that stop-start during the pandemic. Last year, economic activity came back. You're always going to get rising prices. You know, we went from where you know at one point technical oil prices in the U.S. were negative, right, um, and oil demand was you know, very, very low to now the sudden surge back. So that's been a big factor behind inflation and prices. Here in the Gulf, and the UAE, Saudi Arabia, as energy exporters, the energy part of the inflation equation isn't so intense as it might be in somewhere like Jordan, Egypt, Lebanon, other parts of the region. But I think everybody's seeing food pricing prices rise, but also the general costs because of the supply chain, those are going up too. But if I, if I go back to the pandemic and Jihad Azor touched upon this, a lot of the medicine that's required now was taken um, back during the pandemic. So obviously having good vaccination rates helped because that mitigates the impact of any resurgence of COVID and the cost of that to economy as well as health sector. But also looking at supply chains, looking at how we can make them more resilient, make them more regional, more local. A lot of that work was done. And then, as you know from your reporting, agritech, other investments in in, in other important areas were made as well and increased. They didn't stop here just because of the pandemic. In fact, they tried to, what would you say, future-proof it?
1: I would say an overused phrase. But my takeaways from reading the report and listening back to your interview really the stories I want to watch in the year ahead are really around food security and supply chain, that those are the two major opportunities at this region, opportunity and threat, depending on what side of the economic scale you're sitting on right now, as you discussed with divergence. If you're on the right side of this scale, supply chain and food security are massive opportunities. If if you're unlucky and on the wrong side of this scale, they're massive humanitarian threats. And so I Want in our reporting going forward? to We're going to be focusing on solutions. Where are the investments being made around ag tech food security, and also localizing supply chain and smart manufacturing, which we're seeing here in our own backyard? But where is this happening elsewhere, and how can we be bringing the region closer together? Because divergence, that's always a scary. That's always a scary concept.
0: Kelsey, thanks so much. Good to be here. Uh, that's it for today. Thank you for joining us. All that remains to thank our production team and ask you to join us again next time.